Today's reading is 1 John 4, verses 7 through 19. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world... We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I'd like to begin with two quotes that I recently came across that caused me to really pause and reflect. The first uh, is this, in case you're sitting way in the back and can't read this. It says, the tragedy of life is not that it ends too soon, but that we wait too long to begin it. The second is, the story we live is a mirror of what we believe about God, life, and ourselves. And the more I reflected on these quotes, the more it seemed to me like they were connected. The first one caused me to ask why. Why do we wait too long to begin life? And the second one seemed to offer an answer. That it's about the story we live. Here's my observation. Feel free to to disagree with me. It seems to me like we can spend much of our life living into a story that our culture hands to us from a very early age. And what is that story? That you need to try harder to be something in the eyes of someone else. And that storyline feeds on a sense of not enoughness. Not enoughness. That you're not successful enough, you're not smart enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not skilled enough, fill in the blank of whatever it might be that you're you're just not enough. And that narrative is always out there. And so it's easy to spend much of life driven to prove that you're enough. 
And then one day you turn around and you realize that after all this, there really hasn't been a lot of people noticing you because like you, they've been consumed by this narrative of not enoughness and this drive to prove that they're enough. The result is that it is true that you can spend, you can wait too long to begin life. Does that observation resonate with anyone in here? Can you turn the lights up just a little bit? Thank you. So I see some faces. Beautiful. It's just like super dark out here today. Do we not pay our bills? Let's... Um, thanks. If we can just get a little light on. It's nice to see people's eyes. Um, does that resonate with anyone? I'll be absolutely honest with you. I, I'm, I'm haunted by the possibility that I've waited too long to begin life. And that that's, has in part prompted this current reflection on this year, which I've titled A Beautiful Risk. And what is a beautiful risk? It's to see where love takes me, where it takes you if you too want to take that risk. And this is why the story quote is so important. Because to the extent that I'm living out of the not enoughness story, then there's very little space for others except for where they might benefit me in my drive to prove myself. And so others become a means to an end to make my mark on the world. And those others can include my spouse, it can include my coworkers, my friends, even my children. And as a result, there's very little space to be free to see where love takes me. Because love, by nature, obviously, involves other people. And if those other people simply exist for me to make my mark on the world, then there's very little space to love, and there's very little space to see where love takes you. So in order to take this risk of seeing where love takes me, I'm suggesting that it begins with this foundation of being grounded in God's love. In other words, you have to let God love you. And that's the first of three risks that I'm suggesting are involved in this beautiful risk. There's the risk of letting God love you, the risk of loving God, and the risk of loving your neighbor. And this month, we're reflecting on uh, letting God love you. And so last week, I raised the question, how can you be sure of God's love? And I attempted to answer that from Romans 5, and I said there's an objective and a subjective answer. The objective one is historical. It's based upon God demonstrating his love and sending Jesus into the world as our sacrifice, as the one who, who took our sins so that we might share in the life of God. It's something that happened in history. It did happen in history. Whether you interpret it that way is up to you, but it did happen. That act happened. There was an historical person named Jesus of Nazareth, and he did die, and he was raised from the dead. So there's this objective component, but there's also a subjective component we saw from Romans 5 last week, and that has to do with our experience, that Jesus sent his spirit into our hearts, and he pours out God's love. The spirit is given so that we might experience God's love in our hearts, so we might experience it, not just have it up here, but that we might experience the love of God in the same way that you might experience someone's love in our in your relationships. And so I dealt with that question last week. How can you be sure of God's love? And today I want to answer the why question. Why should I let God love me? Why should I let God love me? And to answer that, I want to invite you to turn to a letter written by John. He 
is called the Apostle of Love. He wrote more on the topic of love than any other New Testament writer, and he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved in John 20, verse 2. So turn to 1 John chapter 4, the text Anna read to us just a few minutes ago, page 1023 in the Blue Bibles under your seats, or pull out an app and, uh, and turn to 1 John 4, if you would, please, just so we can look at the text together. Some great words in this text. And in the passage read, read to us this morning, John strikes a major chord. He says that it's God's desire that we be perfected in love, that we be perfected in love. Look at the text with me. Chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 John. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then look at verses 17 and 18. By this, is, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I don't know if you've noticed that before, that John is talking about love being perfected, perfected in us. Now, when you hear the word perfected, perhaps you think, by definition, it means error-free, or perhaps in the moral category, it means sinless. But that's not how John uses it. The way John uses it is to, is to denote maturity. It's about maturity. It's about being fully developed. It's about being an expert. And so it's like, think about it this way, it's like a, uh, an accomplished pianist. It's like a, uh, um, a fine furniture craftsman. It's not that they're error-free, it's rather that they have honed their abilities. They're, they have some expertise in that skill. And that's what John is talking about here when he talks about love. John is saying that God created each of us to become uniquely and fully developed in our ability to love. Jesus described this goal in John 13, 34, and 15, 12 as loving others in the same way that I have loved you. So this is God's measuring stick for true spirituality. And it's very tangible. Love is very tangible. And so it raises the question, am I more proficient in loving others now than I was a year ago? Are you? Are we as a church? See, John says this is how we know that we belong to God. This is how we know we share in his life. This is how we know we have a relationship with God. Look at the text again, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And down in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so John is telling us that this is what God values more than any other accomplishment, more than how successful we might be, how wealthy we might be, how intelligent we may be, how popular we may be, how well-known we might be. God values this more than anything else in our lives. 
And so while loving others, as John talks about here, is the third of the three risks that are involved in the beautiful risk that we're going to be talking about, John connects here loving others with receiving God's love. This is what is so amazing here because he's saying that our willingness to risk letting God love us is connected to our capacity to love others. Our willingness to risk letting God love us is connected to our capacity to love others. So back to the question I posed at the very beginning, why should I take the risk of letting God love me? And the answer is because my capacity to love others is linked to my capacity to let God love me. Simply stated by John in 4.19, we love because he first loved us. They're connected. There are two aspects of being perfected in love. And it makes sense because if God is the source of all true love, which John says in John 4, 1 John 4, 8, God is love, then I have to increase my capacity to receive God's love in order to give it away. And that's the point of 4.19. We love because he first loved us. Loved us. I, have to re- I have to increase my capacity to receive his love in order to be able to give it away. On the other hand, I need to give away God's love to increase my capacity to receive God's love. That's the point of verse 12. Look down at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, his love is perfected in us. It's as we give away God's love that we increase our capacity to receive God's love. Think of it this way. Think of it like breathing. All right? Think of it like breathing. Look at that science illustration. Isn't that awesome? I found that. I didn't create that. Aren't you amazed? That is just beautiful. The things you can find on the internet. That's breathing. So breathing, as you know, involves inhalation and exhalation. It involves your lungs and your diaphragm. And as you age, you can experience atrophy. And so your lungs no longer do what they're intended to do. Your diaphragm doesn't work as well. It's not as good of a muscle. And so therefore, you just don't have the lung capacity that you used to have. And then if you have bad habits, you can decrease that rapidly too. But there are exercises you can do to, to increase, to strengthen those muscles. One of which I am told is that if you, you can practice inhaling through your nose, three seconds inhalation... Hold that breath for three seconds, and then exhale through your mouth for four seconds. All right? You, you want to try it? No, no, just kidding. <laughs> you can try it later on if you want to. And, and you, you continue to do that, as you, and, and you can strengthen your diaphragm and your lung capacity. But you need to do both of them. You need to do inhalation and exhalation. You can't just choose to practice one without the other, Right? Yet, that's often how people, many people, think about growth and maturity. They think, first I'll do this, and then eventually I'll get around to doing this. Like a sequential process. First I'll practice receiving God's love, and then when I feel like I'm, I'm really kind of confident in that, then somewhere down the line I'll, I'll practice giving away God's love. But John seems to suggest that this is something that's developed as a simultaneous process. It means that God is simultaneously at work to develop us into people who both receive and give his love. Why? Because they're connected. 
My capacity to love others is linked to my capacity to receive God's love, to let God love me. So how does this work in practice? How does this work in practice? Well, John helps us. And I'm going to use the analogy of breathing to present it to you as a possibility here. And it involves inhalation and exhalation. All right? So first of all, inhalation. Under inhalation, how can I receive God's love? Think about it. Breathing in, right? Receiving. Okay? Receiving air. How can I receive God's love? And that takes us back to what I talked about last Sunday. That's why I said it was so foundational, it was so fundamental to our moving out in this whole process of taking this beautiful risk. But John also talks about this in verse 9. Look down at the text. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was, it's a giant billboard to the world and to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John is saying you need to realize how much God loves you, and it doesn't begin with your experience of God's love. It begins with the reality of what God has done in sending his son into the world. And that's why I said last week that even when you're you're feeling maybe distant from God, you can turn and you can look at what God has done in history, and you can look at Jesus, and you can look at the finished work of Jesus, and you can say, indeed, God has demonstrated his love. I might not feel it right this minute, but it doesn't diminish the reality that God has demonstrated his love. He's made it manifest, John says. And so we need to continue to realize how much God loves us. And then in verse 15, look down there at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Part of this is realizing that God wants to be personally present in your life. He wants to live in our lives. He wants to fill us with his love. How does he do that? Verse 15 tells us that as you confess, as you agree with God about Jesus and you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus, then he fills you with his spirit. That's what he says in, in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And the spirit is the one who makes God's love tangible. We saw that last week in Romans chapter 5. So the the spirit causes you to experience God's love, not simply to know it on an intellectual basis. So my question to you is, have you transferred your trust to Jesus? And if you say, yeah, I did that when I was five or something and I prayed a prayer or whatever... It is still an ongoing thing of daily transferring my trust from the moment that I wake up in the morning to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, this day I want to transfer my trust to you and ask you to fill me with your spirit that, I might, that your fruit might ripen in my life, that my life might manifest your love to the world, that I might, might take up my cross, Jesus, and follow you. All that's involved in this transfer of trust on a daily basis, and that can be our prayer. So that's inhalation. And then there's exhalation. Exhalation. And the question is, how can I give God's love to others? How can I give God's love to others? So it's not enough to have just God's indwelling presence and God's indwelling love in our life. I have to actually draw upon that love. I have to give it away. How do I do that? Look at verse 16. 
So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. He says we know the love that God has for us. We know the love that God has for us. And that needs to be something that's fresh and that's increasing. It's something that has to be cultivated and, and pursued. and It means that I, I can't just live off of past experiences of how I once experienced God's love or I once encountered God's love, but it has to be fresh and increasing. Now here, I'll make it very practical for you. I want to suggest to you, first of all, using the Bible and then prayerfully reading Scripture, asking God to make his love fresh to you. That sounds so basic. Well, it is. I'm, always, I'm still basic after a lot of years. And basic works. Basic works. Opening up the scripture, and what I'm doing, this is why I presented, I invited you to join me in reading the Gospels, because as I read the Gospels, I'm prayerfully asking God to reveal to me in Jesus his love. Because Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you're doubting whether or not God is love and whether God loves, look at the life of Jesus. Just, I dare you, look at the life of Jesus. Read those four Gospels, saturate yourself, and, and just make note every time you see Jesus doing something that looks like love. And also what I find as I read is every time he does that, he seems to crank the religious crowd. The religious crowd gets so ticked off at him all the time because he prioritizes love over obeying their rules. It's a phenomenal thing to see Jesus operate. But what you see in Jesus is you see love. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that, that God might cause us, that, at least the Ephesian Christians, and, and hopefully you know, by extension us, that God might open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love. And he says, so that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, as you're sitting out there listening to me, maybe you're kind of listening in and listening out. Listen back in for a second. Do you believe that you were made to experience to be filled with the fullness of God? Or is that something for your parents? Or is that something for pastors? Or is that for somebody that's just anybody other than you? See, God says that that's his goal for each of us. Is that we might know this love and in experiencing this love and receiving this love that we would grow into the maturity that is really about experiencing the fullness of the life of God. I don't fully understand what that's about. But you know what? I know enough to say, I'll take it. If God wants to give it, I'll take it. How about you guys? I mean, just go through the Bible and say, I'm not sure if that's for me, but if it is, I'll have it. Maybe he just is looking for a bunch of people that are kind of just plain enough to ask that way. Maybe we're just a little too sophisticated for our own good. We get living up here in our heads and the people who get it are the people who say, you know what, even the dogs get the breadcrumbs under the table. Jesus goes, ooh, good point. Okay, you're healed. 
just this woman that's just desperate to have whatever it is that Jesus offers. Maybe that's what God is looking for us. Basic and desperate. That might do us well. That's what I'm trying. A lot of the other stuff hasn't worked, so I'm going that direction. So I suggest prayerfully reading Scripture. And what happens is I draw upon God's love. As I inhale, I can choose to then give that love. I can exhale even when I feel inadequate or I, I just don't feel equipped enough or, I don't, or I perhaps I even feel empty. Why? Because inhalation is connected to exhalation. And here's the deal. If I withhold God's love from others, it means I don't fully trust his love. I don't trust that his love is there to, to, re- to be received by me. And so my capacity to love shrinks. Failure to exercise and, and to let kind of the, the pipe be unclogged and to let that love come through reduces my capacity to receive the love at the source. I think this is perhaps why habitually self-focused or distracted Christians aren't very excited about God's love. So when I choose to trust God's love for me by giving his love to others, even when I feel inadequate or empty, God's love refreshes me. And his spirit pours it out in my life to others. I can tell you time and time again where I've gone into appointments or dinners or whatever where I, you know, I turn to Laura and I go, like, oh, I just don't feel like doing this tonight. And then you get involved in it and you have this moment where, where, where you step into God's love and you engage and you sense that God is bringing life to this person through your words and, and through the love that is coming out of you and all of a sudden you feel like you're being just as refreshed as you're giving it away. I can't tell you the number of times where I have said, I don't want to do this. But I stepped into it, and the love comes through the channel, and it refreshes me on the way by, by on, into the life of someone else. And I go like, oh, this is nice. I get hit by the wave as it goes and slaps on somebody else. I'll take that too. It's beautiful. It really does work. And so my capacity to receive and appreciate God's love grows. So I will return to my original question, why should I let God love me? And my answer is that my willingness to risk letting God love me is connected to my capacity to love others. And as I love others, my capacity to receive God's love develops and grows. So my question to you is, will you let God love you? Will you let God love you? Because you know what? He is ready. He is more than willing. He is waiting for you to possibly say, I'm willing to let you love me. I have no idea exactly what that means, but I'm willing. Just do it, God. Take a moment, and if that's something you want to say to God, I'll give you a chance to do that, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll finish with offering our words of worship to God. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Hear our silent cries. Hear our desperation. I know that you don't disappoint us. 
We feel oftentimes disappointed, but I know that you are faithful. You've demonstrated that. So for those who have felt empty for so long, for those who have felt distant, I ask that you would pour out your love into their lives. Show them your grace and your love. Flood them with the warmth of your embrace this morning. Show them your smile. Show them that you love them and you've been pursuing them even when they haven't been pursuing you. Thank you for loving us. In your name, amen.